Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. Welcome back to South by Southwest Virtually. We are so excited and and quite emotional, let's be honest, uh, to talk about this incredible documentary, Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America. And we have today uh, sister powerhouse team and co-directors, Emily and Sarah Kunstler, and the subject and writer of the film, Jeffrey Robinson. Thank you for being here today, everyone. Thanks for having us. Yeah, let's start with our directors here. Can you introduce the film to our audience? Yeah, the film is... uh based on the work of the amazing Jeffrey Robinson, who's here with us today. He's been, for the past 10 years, he's been giving uh, a, an earth-shaking talk on the history of um, anti-Black racism in the U.S. And um, the film uh, is anchored by that talk and includes interviews with change makers um, and historians across the country. Um, and it also delves into Jeff's personal history. And, um, you know, basically it is an examination of who we are in this country, you know, and where we come from and where we need to go in order to um, combat anti-Black racism. We both have so much to say and, and are so excited to dive into this film with you, but I, I, I'm interested to know how, uh, Sarah and Emily, how you got connected with Jeffrey for this film. And, you know, obviously there's unfortunately so many examples of racism in America, past and present. Um, you know, how did you decide what you were going to include in the film and, you know, some maybe some stories that, that you had to put on the cutting room floor? Well, Sarah can tell you the story about um, how we connected with Jeff in the first place, but in terms of what we decided uh, to include in the film, um, a lot of it came out of Jeffrey's talk. So um, we, uh, when Jeff, Jeff would just still continues to give this talk um, frequently. And before the pandemic, he was traveling to give the talk and we traveled with Jeffrey as he gave this presentation across the country. Um, and everywhere we would go, us and a, and a team of producers would try to find people local to those communities that would highlight particular um, instances of injustice or personal experiences or um, local historians that could help uh, um, you know, elevate a story that, that wouldn't have been heard of otherwise or bring, some, or bring something in Jeffrey's talk to life in a way that would be real and relatable for the audience. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of the decisions we made were based on the, just the, the amazing luck we had in finding these people wherever, we, wherever Jeffrey went to give his talk. And I mean, there's very little that ended up on the cutting room floor, floor. There are a couple of interviews that didn't make it in, um, but really, um, you know, most of the people that we were, had, were fortunate enough to meet and spend time with ended up in the film. Um, this film started when I heard Jeffrey speak. I'm a lawyer and I went to a presentation he gave for lawyers um, at, the, at a federal courthouse in Manhattan. Um, and it was a, a, a class I had to take in order to keep my registration current. And I don't really usually have much expectations for those presentations. I just went because I had to basically, and because it was free. 
Um, wow. And, <laughs> and uh, I showed up and, um, you know, I, Jeff, I, you know, to, to echo one of the comments we got from somebody who saw the film at South by, I couldn't pick my job off the floor um, at the end of Jeff's presentation. I just, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm an anti-racist. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a white person of privilege, but I, but you know, combating racism is important to me. I, um, I try to look at the world with an anti-racist outlook. I try to think about my privilege in the world. And, and, uh, but there was so much of this history that I didn't know um, that I was so shocked to learn. And just something about learning this history from beginning to end has such implications. Um, it just profoundly changed the way I see uh, this country and my place in it. And um, from that moment, I wanted to help Jeffrey reach a larger audience. Um, and I called Emily and I roped her into it. And that's how this project <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about the film. <laughs> <laughs> Deep breath. <laughs> yeah, so, so Ange and I are in different places, obviously. And right before you guys came on, we were comparing literally our notes because we I have two pages of like, like you can oh, wow. connect the dots to stuff, right? Um, but I wanted to talk about the scene with Braxton Spivey in Charleston, South Carolina. And if you can talk about filming uh, that, that part of the film and that moment of, of you guys behind the camera, but Jeffrey in front of the camera, really trying to engage with this person. Um, can you talk about that moment? What I would say is that uh... Uh, we had been in South Carolina since Thursday night, I think, and this was on a Sunday. And I had given the three-hour presentation, and I was, we had been to the Slave Mart Museum, we had been to a plantation, and I was really sick. And I was back in my hotel in bed, and Sarah and Emily called me and said, look, we're down here on the waterfront, and this guy is down here, and he's spouting all this stuff, and we think he'll talk to you. You, you should really come down. And so I put some clothes on and went down there. And uh, I think quite frankly, that the fact that I was sick was at least helpful to keep him talking because you know a lot of what he was saying was extremely offensive. And uh, part of my reaction initially would have been him to say something like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm -hmm. um, but then we're yelling at each other and you know, one thing I was trained to do as a lawyer is to cross-examine people. And so in a polite way, I tried to just one fact at a time demonstrate to him that what he was saying didn't make any sense. And once the, uh, the war wasn't about slavery and the money wasn't about slavery, once that didn't go so well, that's when he changed to, well, they were treated like family. And we had literally just come from that Charleston Museum where we were looking at shackles made for three-year-olds. And I wanted to explode at him at that point. And I think because I was sick, I kind of looked away from him and then just thought, well, how about me owning you? <laughs> and so what I'll say is, I, the thing that I talked with Sarah and Emily a lot about, and I actually, asked them to consider taking it out of the film. And I think I'm glad that I didn't. There was a part of me that was embarrassed by shaking hands with him. Mm -hmm. Because uh, what he said to me was incredibly offensive. And offensive 
to me as a black person living in this country. And there was a part of me that felt the need to tell him, you can't talk to me like that. And I don't respect you for talking to me mm. like that. And so shaking his hand was an, a dilemma for me, but you know, I was raised in the South. And that means something, as Tammy Sawyer, the woman from Memphis said, people think about white people when they think about the South, but the South ain't just white people. And one of the things that we were taught that I was brought up on is that you are polite to people, no matter how rude to, to you they are. And so I shook his hand because that's what I was raised to do. And he spoke to me and he didn't have to speak to me. And it was clear we were being filmed. So, you know, he did that and he didn't have to. And so that was a significant moment for me. And I think that Sarah and Emily were right that uh, it should have remained in the film. And he, he uh, followed us, um, hmm. him and his, and his cohorts. We were at, later that day, we were at a, a protest at a, a Calhoun statue um, in the center of town there, um, right next to uh, Mother Emanuel Church. Um, right, Mother Emanuel like was essentially in the shadow of that statue, which has since been taken down. But we, we went there um, for, for a protest and they showed up, knew we were gonna be there and were there. So they definitely um, understood that, that their presence was intimidating and, um, and showed up to intimidate us. That was a profound trip because we, uh, you asked about interviews that didn't make it in. We did interview Pastor Manning at Mother Emanuel. Mother Emanuel is the church where um, nine parishioners were killed by a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember, you know, th these are very, these trips that we took with Jeffrey in making this film, they were very intense. They were short in duration, but they were, they were action-packed in terms of meeting people and going places and trying to get the most out of the three or four days we would have anywhere to, you know, to help bring, bring Jeff's talk to light, to meet with people. Um, and uh, when we went to Mother Emanuel, one of the, um, which was a, 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 a you know, a, a very profound experience for everyone. Um, one of the things that we were talking about that you were talking about, Jeff, with Pastor Manning was about whether people can change, whether people have the capacity for change. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of the things that Pastor Manning thinks about in terms of the murderer who, who murdered nine of his parishioners, right? You know, is, is that a person who can be saved? And I think sitting there with that pastor, having that talk about somebody who, you know, who devastated his community impacted us. And it was still resonating for us when we went to meet with, with Mr. Spivey. And I think that we were, when Jeff's in the van after that talk and he's thinking about whether, um, whether people can be reached um, when he's thinking about Mr. Spivey, he's also thinking about Pastor Manning um, and, uh, and, and how we reconcile these, these acts of violence and how we move on from them. Ooh, wow, that's that's really powerful and that's so interesting because it's like the the events of the day led to that conversation and it could have been really different had that conversation happened earlier yeah. or so it sort of happened in the order it, it was meant to. Wow, um, thank you for sharing that story. Um, you know, we we like to consider ourselves at least a little bit aware of 
you know, racism and what's going on and we read and, um, you know, but, but, but like you said, it's, it's just, we learned so much from you in this film, Jeffrey, uh, about our four our founding fathers. I'm going to read from my notes here really quickly. Um, fuck Francis Scott Key. Yes. Um, you know, it's just like, so. Yeah. it's just, it's just like so many things yes. we're learning from you. It really comes down to like, how, can we restructure our educational system? Um, sure, in college, we can have these courses, but not right. everybody has access to that. Elementary schools, high schools, you know, what needs to happen? Do you think it's possible in our lifetime to, to get this restructuring to actually- Well, I've been at the, the ACLU for the last five and a half years, and I was a criminal defense lawyer for 34 years before that. And I thought the ACLU would be my last job. Uh, March 31st is my last day at the ACLU, and I am not retired. Oh. I am leaving to found the Who We Are Project. We have already set up the nonprofit corporation, and we are going to address the issue that you just raised in three different buckets, because education is important. And both of you were indicating how impacted you were by hearing stuff that you didn't know and understand after going to Marquette University and Harvard Law School, I wasn't taught a huge amount of this. And so I was having the same reaction you were having, wait a minute. And I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee in the late 50s and early 60s. So I understood what the civil rights movement was because I was walking out into it, but I still didn't know this information. And I think that this information can radically change our view about why we are in the circumstances we are in today. And so there are three buckets of education that we're gonna work on. One is in schools and we're talking pre-K through college. And we are gonna work with people to develop curricula that's age appropriate. The second bucket is in the community at large. And that's everything from church groups to civic groups to uh, uh, prosecutors, police officers. And the third bucket, which is equally important is government offices, meaning elected officials and corporations, mm. because corporations can take huge steps simply because they think it's the right thing to do. And if they are educated, I think we can then put a challenge to them that is, you are good people. You are Americans in the best sense of that word. And now that you know this, maybe you didn't know before, but if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> and if now you know, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. So that's what uh, I'm going to be working on. And uh, my intent is to make a huge dent in the narrative about our history of white supremacy and anti-Black racism in the next five years. Incredible. I am so happy that, well, I'm not happy that you're not retiring. I mean, you probably deserve time <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> but I am so happy that this is your next phase because after watching this film, I was like, how, how do you change people's minds? I, I mean, we all have family members that do not think this way and are, are not going to watch this film um, because they really want to stick to their guns and they want to, they want to hold on to these myths of, of, of American exceptionalism, which you talk about. Um, but I'm so happy you're talking about education because I think that's where it has to start. It just does. Um, I want to talk more about the film and talk about why it was so important, both to the filmmakers and to Jeffrey, about interweaving your personal story throughout throughout the documentary. I'm going to let Sarah and Emily start with that one because 
quite frankly, had it not been for them, uh, my personal story would not have been in this document. Mm. Jeff is very comfortable on stage and speaking to an audience, but Jeff didn't didn't was not necessarily so keen on in, in including much of his personal story in it. But I, I now I think he realizes how important it was at least to include it up to this level. Um, a, the reason we wanted to include it was, you know, why Jeff? Why why listen to Jeff talk about all of these things? You know, who is this person? Um, why why should I listen to to their uh, them digesting history for me? You know. Um, and, and we wanted to tell Jeff's story because Jeff, Jeff has had, uh, some, uh, remarkable, but also some, some very common life experiences. Um, and we wanted to, to make Jeff relatable to the audience. And, you know, we loved listening to Jeff's stories. So he would, he told all of us all these stories and he, you know, he would touch on some of them in this presentation, but we were so curious about them. So we're like, oh, you, you know, you, you integrated a school. Let's, let's find out more, you know, um, you, you have this incredible story of how your family came to own this home, you know, how did that happen? Um, and uh, luckily the, the people that, that Jeff knew from, from his, his childhood, uh, he still has a wonderful relationship with them um, and they agreed to participate, so. And I, I will say that uh, I, I do feel better about it. I think that um, uh, I think that the experiences that I had may sound uh, unique, but they're not. And that was one of the reasons that I was reluctant to have my story included in this, because in my view, my story is not special not by any means of the word. There are black Americans all over this country that can tell you stories that would put my story to shame. So I, I did have that feeling that my story was not that special, but I, I do think that um, it was, I think it helps the film. And I will just say that in terms of relationships, I hadn't spoken to Opie Orions in probably 35 years, wow. maybe 30 years. And when I called him at his law firm, uh, he answered the phone and I, I did, you know, he's, it's like now it's Robert or Bob Orians. And I'm like, yo, Opie, it's Jeff. <laughs> I think I said Jeffrey because everybody in the South calls me Jeffrey. And he just started laughing and I started laughing. And I said, you know, this is what I'm doing. And will you and Dick meet me at St. Louis? And he's like, of course we will. And our producers were like, Jeff, you have to get permission from St. Louis to film in the school because we're going down there in like three days. And I kept saying, don't worry about it. The Orion's family is like the leading family of the parish. It's not going <laughs> to be a problem. And of course it wasn't. And the folks there remembered my parents because we were the first black family in that school. And so, oh, you're Jeffrey Rob, you're Herbert and Lamaris Robinson's son. What time would you like to be here? And so, you know, it was, uh, in, in my view, that part of the movie is what could have been had we continued on a different path in this country. And unfortunately, it ended up being a moment in time. And, uh, but it was still part of, like, my growing up. It also yeah. gave a window into into the, the ripples of racism that you don't necessarily think about all the time. You know, here are these two men who you think 
maybe their lives were totally untouched by by the you know the racism that was going on in, you know in, in their in their general area that wasn't necessarily impacting them directly but you could see how you know how it impacted they were and how they they still carried so much pain and hurt which is you know I, I mean to us very interesting um, and we thought it was another way to, to 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 bring more people into the fold that family treated me like I was one of their nine kids and they had nine kids. And to Dick, who was 10 years older than Opie and I, I was his little brother's best friend. That's all he needed to know. It was so beautiful. It's such an important part of the story. So I'm so glad you included it and you were willing to share that part, Jeffrey. Um, we, we have to wrap soon, but I just uh, wanted to say you talk about unconscious bias and deliberate bias and how they both have the same result. You know, it's it's something we're all working on. It's so easy to point the finger, but we all have a role to play in this. Um, so for our directors, I'm, I'm interested to know um, how working on this film has helped you with your own self-reflection. And, and maybe Jeffrey, you can end on, you know, how do we maintain the endurance for this mm -hmm. lifelong fight? Yeah, I mean, it's something from the first time we heard Jeffrey speak, um, you know, I mean, it, I'd never, Jeff, I don't know if I told you this, but never before I heard you, did I hear someone break down implicit bias and unconscious bias. Um, and, and I, and, uh, um, and I know that, that there are those who argue that when we talk about unconscious or implicit bias, we're giving people a pass, right? That we're not talking about, um, you know, we're not talking about the real, very, the very real conscious biases that people have. And those are, you know, and that's a, a problem too. But I think there's something about Jeff's talk, all of it, because Jeff, Jeff incorporates personal stories in his talk, you know, and the, the personal stories he incorporated in his talk were the jumping off points were going into his life. The reason Jeffrey's presentation is so impactful for me um, is because of how generous it is, right? It invites it, it invites the viewer in, in all kinds of different ways. Um, Jeffrey talks about how our history has been stolen from us, all of us of all races, right? This is something, this has been damage that's been done to us as a nation. And it's all of our jobs to, to get it back together, right? To, to, um, to search out this history, to educate ourselves, to educate the people in our community. Um, his personal stories are another way in, right? They're, they, by giving of himself in that way, in that such a generous way, he allows us to reflect on our own lives. Um, I have a, a, a white friend um, who said to me after watching this film that watching, learning about Jeff, Jeff's struggle in buying a home made her understand racism in a more profound way than she ever had. She, you know, it's not, she's not a, she's a smart person. You know, she knows that racism exists, but she said, if I want to buy a home, all I need to worry about is having the money to buy it. That's all I need to worry about. Just thinking about all the, the all, all, everything that had to go into Jeff's family buying a home um, changed the way she understands racism in this country. Um, and I know I'm going a little bit afield of your question about implicit bias, but I think when Jeffrey talks about implicit or unconscious bias, he's also, it, it, it's, it's a generous way to invite people into a conversation about racism. Because he says, he starts out, he says, you know, raise your hand. Has anyone in this room ever owned a slave, right? An enslaved person. This is not 
that slavery is not our fault, but it is our responsibility. Um, and that is why we made this film. We made this film for all of the ways Jeffrey Robinson makes it, makes it possible to invite people into a conversation about racism and how to end it in all the different ways he does that. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> and hopefully this film can be a tool for, for, for people who can't talk to, to their friends or relatives about this issue, right? I mean, it's, these conversations are hard and they should be had and this film's not a replacement for conversations. But sometimes it's easier to sit down and watch a two hour film or get someone to watch a two hour film um, and have a conversation afterwards than it is to start from, from scratch with someone, you know? So if, if this film can be used in that way to, to, to allow different communities, even with or different families to have these conversations that are so necessary for our country to, to, to heal and to live up to, to our own expectations of it, um, then, then that would be a terrific thing. And I think I would just say one thing about that, which is one of the things we're working on is a discussion guide to go with the film to help people talk about what they've seen and what they're feeling about it. Um, you, I mean, you know, this, this work is uh, both incredibly rewarding and incredibly exhausting. And uh, the, the long road is, I, I wanna be clear, you know, don't mistake what I'm saying for incrementalism because I have no truck with that. I am, there are things I would like to tear down with a hatchet right now, tomorrow, but, if something's been built up for 400 years, if you think you're gonna hit it with a hatchet once and it's gonna fall, you're just mistaken. And so when people, I was horrified by what, by what happened on January 6th, I was upset by it, but I wasn't surprised. Do you think that white supremacy is just going to release its hold on American politics without a fight? Did you think they were just gonna sit and sip tea and say, oh, our power is going away, that's too bad. Of course not. So I wasn't surprised at all. And in terms of the, you know, so if you're gonna dismantle something that took 400 years to build, it's gonna take you a minute to dismantle. It. And it is very easy for me personally to get past a feeling of exhaustion or frustration. I shouldn't say it's easy because it's not easy. But I have managed to get past it because, you know, what, what do I say to my parents? I'm tired. I just can't do this work anymore. It's too frustrating. After what they went through, just to give me the opportunity to go to Marquette University and Harvard Law School, I say to them, I'm tired. I can't do it anymore. What do I say to those women in 1955 that walked for over a year in the Montgomery bus boycott? What do I say to them? I, I just don't have any more strength. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. It's too hard. This is hard work, but that's just what it is. And any motivation I think that any of us need, if we are feeling frustrated, we're feeling like we can't go on in any of our communities where we're dealing with racism, look at what our parents dealt with and our grandparents dealt with and what they did to get us to the positions that we're in today. And when I say that, then I can kind of say, okay, go get some sleep and then get off your ass and get back to it. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you for 
existing. <laughs> um, this might be the most important film to watch as an American. I hope it goes everywhere. I hope it's seen by everyone. Again, we're speaking to co-directors, Emily and Sarah Kunstler, and the subject and writer of the film, Jeffrey Robinson. Thank you and congratulations. Thank you very much, greatly appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm emotional. Yeah. Oh, are you kidding me? Thank you so much. I uh, I cry at freaking Hallmark commercials these days. So, um, <laughs> right. It's just, you know, uh, you can't talk about this stuff and deal with this stuff without having emotions come up. And so just thank you all for giving us the opportunity to talk to people about this film. Our, our goal is just for the broadest audience possible to see it. And if there are folks listening to y'all that get interested and see it, then that's like, that's the whole reason we made it. Yeah. I should just tell y'all quickly, uh, the Who We Are Project is a not-for-profit not organization. If the film is, when the film is sold, because we're gonna sell the film. Yeah. Every penny of the sales price and any future earnings is going to the Who We Are Project. Sarah and Emily have been paid for their time, but they have not been paid anywhere near <laughs> what would be considered near a market value for their time and their energy and their commitment. So no one is making a penny off of this, but what we are getting from this, I think at least the three of us would agree is a lot more valuable than any dollar amount that anybody could, could ever suggest. Amazing. Thank Please you. Please take care. Yeah, you too. You too. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. 